Old Testament to the book of 1 Kings, chapter number 17. 1 Kings, chapter 17. We're going to look at a familiar story, and I hope this will be a challenge to you, regarding being used by God. I learned a long time ago, I played a lot of sports. I've always been a little bit larger than most people. You may not be able to tell that from your vantage point, but when I was born, I weighed 11 pounds and 6 ounces. I was 6 foot 5 by the time I was in ninth grade. And I, I played football in the fall, basketball in the winter, baseball in the spring, raced motorcycles, taught water skiing, played ping pong. I loved, had a ball. I loved it. But you know what I didn't like to do? I didn't like sitting on the bench. And I've never understood why so many Christians are happy just sitting on the bench. Or shall I say pew? Can I say today that God did not save us to sit? He saved us to serve. God did not save us to sit. He saves us to serve. 1 Kings chapter 17, beginning of verse number 8, the Bible says, And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel, that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake, but a handful of meal in a barrel, and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks, that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did. And by the way, that could be a sermon by itself. She went and did. Are you obeying every impulse of the Holy Spirit? When God speaks to you, will you obey Him? And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. She and he and her house did eat for many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail, according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will help me as we open your word this morning. I pray as we look at this principle being used by God that each believer here today will understand that God desires, wants to, and can use them. I pray that we will, will be vessels fit for the master's hand. I pray that we will serve you, Lord, until either the trumpet sounds or till you call us home. Lord, I acknowledge publicly this morning that I need your help. And Lord, as I prayed at our place of residence last night, I do not want to do this by myself. I ask for your help. For we know that every good and perfect gift comes from above. So please be with us here today, Lord. And if perchance there's someone here who does not know for sure they're on their way to heaven, I pray that will be settled today. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we look at this passage today, we see, first of all, the woman that God chose. If I were to ask someone for help here today, I can assure you I would not ask Pastor, Pastor, is there some widow I could talk to today? Because I need some help. That wouldn't cross my mind. 
I teach the auditorium Sunday school class at our church, and I have a number of widows in my class. Uh, I've never thought of asking them for something. I think, what could I do for them? The Bible says, pure religion and undefiled is helping the fatherless and the widow and keeping oneself in spot of the world. But God sent Elijah to a widow. By the way, she wasn't even a Jewish widow. She was from Zarephath of the country of Zidon. Most unusual. This widow not only was a non-Jew and not in this country, she was poverty-stricken. She had a burden in her heart. Could you imagine parent or grandparent being involved with someone having their last meal and saying they were going to die? Incomprehensible. She had a burden in her heart. She had a boy in her hands and she had barrenness in her, hand, in her home. She had but a handful of meal. When my son lived in our home, he loved to have pancakes for breakfast. They were very healthy. They came from Bisquick, buttermilk, an egg, he has protein in there, with lots of chocolate chips mixed in, covered with syrup and powdered sugar. He's now a type 2 diabetic. No, just kidding, he's not really, but <laughs> he loved that. But can I tell you this? I know how much I started with. I get a big scooping cup to make his two pancakes. A handful of meal? You're not going to make much of a cake with a handful of meal. Two sticks. You're not going to have much of a fire with just two sticks. But can I say, friends, God used her and God can use you as well. Amen. And when you stop and think, God can't use me, you say, well, I haven't been to college. Uh, neither did Deal Moody or Curtis Hudson. Or you say, I'm too old. Can I say this? If you are Able to retire from your occupation, I congratulate you. But nowhere in the annals of Scripture do I see where we, require, where we retire from our avocation, which is to serve God. The next time you feel God can't use you, just remember God used no one. He got drunk. God used Abraham. He was way too old to have kids. God used Isaac. He was a daydreamer. God used Jacob, and he was a deceiver and a liar. God used Leah, and she was ugly. God used Joseph, he was an abused brother. You talk about an abused brother, you know what it says about Joseph? His brothers envied him and hated him. And when they said, I hate you, they meant it. They're sitting around talking about killing him. And fortuitously, providence of God, one brother said, well, let's just sell him into slavery. That is not a good home situation. God used Moses. He had a stuttering problem. God used Gideon. He was afraid. God used Samson. Long-haired a womanizer. God used Rahab, and she was a harlot. By the way, you look at the ladies in the genealogy of Christ. You've got Rahab. You've got Tamar. You've got Bathsheba. And God still used them. You look at Jeremiah and Timothy, they were too young. You look at David. Yes, a man after God's own heart, 1 Samuel 13, 14 and Acts 13, 22. But he had an affair and murdered Uriah. I think of Elijah, who was suicidal. 
I think of Jonah. He ran from God. In college work, we call that direct disobedience. I think of Naomi. She was a widow. I think of Job, who went bankrupt. I think of John the Baptist. He ate bugs. I mean, seriously, you know. I think of Peter, who denied Christ three times. By the way, after that, he preached the Sermon at Pentecost. That encourages me. I think of the disciples, the inner three, who fell asleep while Jesus was praying. The Son of God, the perfect man. He said, could you not wait with me for one hour? I think about Martha. She was a worrier. She worried about everything. I think about the Samaritan woman who was divorced multiple times. I think of Zacchaeus who was too small. I think of Paul who was too religious. I think of Timothy who had an ulcer. And Lazarus, well, he was dead. And God used them, and God could use you. So we see the woman God chose. Secondly, we see the work that God commanded. He said, make me thereof a little cake first. This certainly seemed calloused. I watched your pastor many times. They're in burden of hand. Wait till people have gone through the line. But God's telling his man, ask for yours first. Why would he do that? Because God has a principle in his word. It's found in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. Where the scripture says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Put him first. Seek him first. I've long been a believer that God did the first day of the week. It's the Lord's day. I commend you for obeying the word of God. I believe God gets the first 10% of our income plus an offering. It's called the tithe. I was paid on Wednesday. I tithe Wednesday morning before I even went to work at 730. You say, why would you do that? It's not Sunday yet. I flew somewhere on Thursday. I figured the plane goes down. I want to be tithed up. <laughs> I'm serious about that. So God gets the first day of the week. He gets the first 10% of our income. I believe God ought to get the first part of our day. The psalmist said, early will I seek thee. And I know a few people who are good at having devotions late at night. Not me. Have you ever done that? You're laying in bed. I was saying, whoa, I haven't had my devotions yet. So put him first. And then parents, for your young people, I believe every young person ought to give God the first year of their adult life. I think Bible college is a great place for that. You say, Dr. Rasmussen, do you think everyone ought to go into full-time Christian work? No, although God's looking for laborers. But I think we ought to give them the first year because they'll be a better father or husband, a better wife or mother. And Bible college is not just a great place to train to serve the Lord. It's a great place to find out what God wants you to do with your life. Because the Word of God says in Genesis 24, verse 27, I being in the way, the Lord led me. It happened in my life. I'm very grateful. I went to Bible college for one reason, because my parents told me to. I was a student at Bob Jones University, majoring in business, and I went to one year of Bible college, and 
My second semester, I surrendered full-time Christian work. My second year, I was called to preach. About four years later, I was not still a student at that time. I was teaching there. I met my wife there. It changed everything. So the principle first things, he says, make me thereof a little cake first. Very important. Is God in first place in your life? You may be thinking, well, God's very important to me. That's good. But God does not ask to be important. He asks to be in first place. In Colossians, it says that in all things, he might have the preeminence. That's first place. I feel with many Christians, we say, well, in my life, God is prominent. But he doesn't ask for prominence. He asks for preeminence. First place. First place. So we see the woman he chose. We see the work he commanded. He asked for what she had. Can I tell you this, friends? God does not ask you for more than you have. He asks for what you have. Joanne, you can do something I can't do. I can't sing like that. My wife sings. All my kids sing. I can't sing. I make a joyful noise. Right? I mean, it's not good. If I sing out, sometimes I just get joy during the hymns. I sing up, my family starts laughing at me. It's humiliating. God doesn't ask me to be a singer. It's not a gift He's given me. He asks us for what we have. All that widow woman had was a handful of meal and a little oil. And she was willing to give what she had. In Mark chapter 14, verse 8, there's a verse that says this, She hath done what she could. Will we do what we can do? God said to Moses in Exodus chapter 4, verse 2, He said, what is that in thy hand? And Moses answered, he said, it's a rod. God took that rod and he used it. First he turned it into a serpent. Then his serpent ate the other serpents. Then he used that rod to bring water from a rock to hold up and have the Red Sea divide apart. It was just a rod. God will use what we have if we give it to Him. I don't know what you have today, my friend, but can I remind you again that God can use you? God can use you. He asked for poverty, but He also asked for priority. If you ever have the opportunity to go to Germany, you'll probably visit the capital city of Berlin. And there in Berlin is their National Art Gallery. Very similar to our National Art Gallery there on the Mall in Washington, D.C., part of the Smithsonian's. And it's the most famous gallery in the United States. This gallery was opened in the 1800s, and the greatest painter in Germany at that time was a man who has a name that's not used much today. His name was Adolf, Adolf Menzel. Of course, later that name was ruined for history by Adolf Hitler. Menzel lived before that time. He was born in 1815. He died in 1905. Great painter. They said to Menzel, we want you to paint your magnum opus, a giant portrait, and we're going to put this in the great museum here in Berlin. The painting is actually bigger than the screen there on the wall. Adolf Menzel stretched that canvas and began to paint the painting. He said, I'm going to paint a painting of Frederick II, the man who led Germany into what was called the Second Reich or reign. Adolf Hitler wanted to do the Third Reich, which only lasted 13 years. But Frederick the Great had great impact on Germany and on Europe. He began to paint the painting. He did the foreground, had the grass, the dirt, the rocks, and 
He did the background with the sky and the clouds. And then he began to work his way towards the center. He had a dog. He had some adjutants, aide-de-camps and officers. He got closer and closer and closer to the middle of the painting until all he had left was the painting of Frederick the Great. He had him charcoaled out. It was ready to begin painting Frederick the Great, and he died. If you go to that art gallery today, that painting is there. But the person who was supposed to be about Frederick the Great is not in the painting. By the way, the person about who our life is to be about, the Lord Jesus Christ. Do people see him in your life? Do you say, well, I'll get to him later? Pastor, I can't tell you how many people have told me when I retire, I'll serve God. We don't know how long we're going to have. There'll be a funeral next Saturday for a former faculty member who taught at West Coast, maybe taught some of these girls. Mrs. Dunwoody died of cancer this last week, 50 years of age. Her two kids are 16 and 18. I'm sure that five years ago she never thought I will be in heaven when I'm 50. So since we don't know how long we're going to have, let's serve God today. Let's make our life count today. Uh, the Bible says work for the night is coming. Night cometh when no man can work. The choice is ours. Will we give him what we have now, our time, our talent, our treasure, because you can be used by God. God promises to take care of us. He promises to supply our needs. One of the greatest missionary biographies I've ever read is called Hudson Taylor's Spiritual Secret. Hudson Taylor wrote in his journal, he said this, Our Heavenly Father is a very experienced one. He knows very well that his children wake up every morning with a good appetite. He sustained three million Israelites in the wilderness for 40 years. We do not expect he will send three million missionaries to China, but if he did, he would have ample means to sustain them all. And here's a great statement. He said, depend on it. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. God's work done in God's way will never lack God's supply. Then we see the wonder that God performed. I'm going to give you a statement. I hope you will remember this. God honored obedience with abundance. I want to say that again. God honored obedience with abundance. I am a believer. I can testify to the fact that you cannot outgive God. The Bible says, give it, it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and overflowing. My dad used to say, my dad pastored a church for 50 years. He said, we shovel it out. God shovels it back. And God has a bigger shovel than we do. I believe that. I believe that. The Bible says she went and did. It says in verse 15 to 16, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail. It happened just like God said. God says he'll supply our needs. God says give it, it shall be given. And you say, well, what am I supposed to give? Our time, our talent, and our treasure. It's the three things we all have in varying amounts. I don't have the talent that Joanne has in singing. But we are to use our talents and give back to him that which he has entrusted to us. We see the simplicity she went and did. Most of us know the song, Trust and Obey. For there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. 
The great theologian songwriter Ron Hamilton said it this way, I will obey the first time I'm told. I will obey right away. Never with a sigh, never asking why, I will obey right away. Now he's talking about kids and parents. But you know what? We have a heavenly father. Will we obey him right away? He says, have you witnessed to your neighbor yet? Do your neighbors know who your Jesus is? Do your co-workers know who your Jesus is? Does not God's word tell us, let your light so shine among men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven? The simplicity of obedience. It's up to us. The choice is ours. An English preacher by the name of Archibald Rutledge told the story about a woodsman that was in his church whose job literally was cutting down trees for fences and houses and firewood. And every day this woodsman would go out in the woods. He would bring his lunchbox with him. Usually that early morning hour he'd have a coat on and his faithful dog would always go with him. They would go out into the woods where he was at and he would set down his lunchbox, cover it with his coat and tell the dog to guard his lunch. He was an obedient dog. The dog would never move. That woodsman, when he came back to eat lunch around noon, would always share his lunch with his dog, his faithful boon companion. But one day, he heard a song that seemed to be singing in the trees, and then it became a screechy, and he realized that he was hearing a forest fire. He heard it coming closer, and he realized it was coming from and towards the direction where his dog and his lunch and his coat were. He got louder and louder. The wind was blowing. He began to whistle, a sharp, piercing whistle that the dog always responded to, but the noise of the fire was so loud the dog couldn't hear it. He began to yell till he was hoarse. He began to run towards where his dog and his coat and his lunch were. By then the flames were 20 and 30 feet high, burning through the underbrush and the trees. And the woodsman, with tears coursing down his cheeks, told his pastor, I knew what I would find after the fire. And when the fire had burned through, he went back to that clearing where he had put his lunch, his coat, and his dog. And there was a dog lying across the coat and the lunch, literally giving his life a sacrifice to obey his master. And the woodsman said to Pastor Rutledge, he said, I had to be careful what I told my dog to do because he always obeyed me. When I read that story, I said, wouldn't it be great if the Lord could say that about me? Whatever I tell him to do, he will obey me. If I say go, he'll go. If I say stay, he'll stay. Friends, can I tell you today that happiness is finding God's will and doing it? I don't know what God wants you to do. But I do know this, He wants you to serve Him. You may say, well, I'm very elderly. You can pray. If you're infirm and maybe in your 80s or 90s you can't walk much, you can email missionaries and tell them you prayed for them. That would be a blessing to them. 
I happen to know that because I have a daughter who's a missionary in Thailand. And one day I was preaching in San Jose. She said, Dad, tell this Filipino nurse I said hi. I said, how do you know her? She said, I don't know her. I said, well, why am I telling her you said hi? She said, every time we release a prayer letter, she always writes, I prayed for your prayer request. She said, that's such a blessing. I think they have 60 or 70 supporting churches. I said, sweetheart, how many people do that? She said, two. That Filipino nurse or one other lady. My heart was pricked. Friends, when was the last time you read a missionary letter and jotted down the email address, the prayer request, and told them, I prayed for that prayer request. William Carey said that's called holding the ropes. Some can do it by prayer. By the way, it changed my life. We support about 300 missionaries. I pray for six of them each week. And email six a week. So at least once a year they'll hear from me knowing I prayed for them, their family, and their place of ministry. I don't know how many missionaries you support. But if you email, it's free now. You don't even have to buy a letter anymore or a stamp. You can do it from a smartphone or your computer. For some people it's prayer. Some people it's giving. Are we supporting that which is eternal? That which will last forever? And some people, well, it's prayer. Some it's giving. Some it's using your talent. I'll just tell you this, Pastor, that choir song was a blessing to me today. And while maybe you can't sing a solo like Joanne did, maybe you can sing in the choir. You know, that's one of the first impressions a visitor hears. That honored the Lord this morning. Thank you for doing that, all of you who are in the choir. I don't know all your names. I know a few, right? But that was a blessing. Can I tell you today, friends, that God can use you? Now, I have to say this. In the book of Ezra, chapter 7, verse number 10, this says this about Ezra. For Ezra had purposed in his heart to know the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. So once we know what God wants us to do, the next thing we need to do is to do it. You say, Dr. Rasmussen, what am I supposed to do? I don't know. But you know who's going to have a good idea? Your pastor. So I'm afraid to ask him. What a great thing to do, friends, to redeem the time. To work while the night is coming. But can I say this? Everybody has a talent. Oh, some people have many talents. But everybody's got at least one. Maybe you need to take a spiritual gifts test to find out what your talent is. But God, if you will use your talent for Him, I believe He'll multiply it. And it will count. And someday he will say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. One last story, I'm done. There was a little boy whose name was Tommy. And Tommy was a prodigious checkers player. By the time he was four and five, he was beating everybody in elementary school. Like 98 games out of 100. By the time he was seven or eight, he was beating everybody in the high school. By the time Tommy was about 12, he was beating the adults like 99 times out of 100. Well, people didn't want to play checkers with Tommy. 
visitors would come to that little town, true name of a town, Stinking Creek, Tennessee. <laughs> they had an old country store there, and they often asked the people, hey, do you play checkers? Most people would say yes to that. They'd say, well, you know, we got a boy here, Tommy, he likes to play checkers. Would you play him a game? They kind of took a paternalistic pride in Tommy because he'd beat them all. Adults would be embarrassed. This kid was beating him. And word began to surround that Tommy was really good. And pretty soon nobody wanted to play with Tommy. But one day, word came down from a neighboring town in the state of Kentucky about an old man there. We'll call him Mr. Smith, who was in his 70s, who was also very good at checkers. The people in Kentucky said, well, I bet Mr. Smith could beat Tommy. And people down in Tommy's town in Stinky Creek said, oh, I don't think so. Tommy is like the best. And they picked a Saturday several weeks in advance, and they said, we'll have the game on that day. And a caravan came down from Kentucky. They wanted to watch the match between old Mr. Smith and Tommy. There were so many people, they couldn't do it inside the country store. They had to move the barrel out on the porch, kind of like on a Cracker Barrel. They put a rocking chair on either side, and Tommy being so short, he couldn't see over the board. They had put a box in the chair, so he sat in the box, put his feet in the chair, kind of maintaining his balance. And the old man, wearing coveralls, faded to the palest shade of indigo. An old flannel shirt that had been washed so many times, it was almost translucent. It was rolled up to his sleeves, the shirt was, you could see his skin almost like you could count the veins and arteries through that parchment-like skin. You could tell he didn't usually comb his hair much. He kind of slicked it back, and it had a few errant shocks sticking up. But his eyes were still sharp. He looked down at Tommy and said, Go ahead, son. And Tommy didn't like that. He felt he'd been dissed. He kind of went, huh. And the game began, and soon Tommy took a piece. And then another piece, another piece. And finally the old man took a piece, and Tommy took another piece. And Tommy took a fifth piece. He looked up at his sister, who was also quite good, like, you could beat this guy. But when he took that fifth piece, old Mr. Smith said, you shouldn't have done that, son. He took his arm. It went boom, 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 and said, crown me. In checkers, that's called a Jacob's Ladder. Not only was the game tied, but he now had a king in the back reaches of the board, and in a few minutes, the game was over. Tommy leaned back and said, wow. He just got blitzkrieged. The old man said, nice game, Sonny. Keep practicing. <laughs> he slowly leveraged himself up the chair and made his way over to the steps, similar to this from the old country store. As the agent or want to do, he kind of took it one step at a time and just slowly made his way down the steps. He was almost done when Tommy called out. He said, sir, can I ask you a question? The old man said, what is it, son? He said, how did you do that? And the old man said this, sometimes you have to give up a few pieces to get the crown. And friends, I want to ask you today, are you willing to give up a few pieces of what this world has to offer so that someday Jesus could give you a crown and say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Let's pray today. 
with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, I'd like to ask you this morning, how many here today would say, Dr. Rasmussen, I do know for sure I'm on my way to heaven. If I were to die today, I know I would go to heaven. Say that, would you raise your hand right now? A great sea of hands, as I expected. Thank you, you can put your hands down. I can't look at every single person here. The Bible says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 13, these things have I written that ye may know that you have eternal life. Friends, you can't serve God till first you're a part of His family. The Bible says the plowing of the wicked is sin. I wonder, is there anyone here today who would say, Dr. Rasmus, I'm not positive I'm on my way to heaven. Would you please pray for me? I will not embarrass you. I will not come to you. But I'd like to pray for you. If you're not sure, would you raise your hand this morning? Anyone like that at all? Anybody like that? Thank you, ma'am. Appreciate that. In just a moment, we're going to stand and sing. And ma'am, if you would allow either Joanne or my wife, they'd love to show you from the Bible how you can know for sure. Would you like to know that? Wonderful. In just a minute, we'll stand. I'll have people's heads bowed and their eyes closed. I'll have you come to the front. I'm so glad you're going to make that decision today. You pray for this one dear lady. But let me ask you this. Most of you raise your hands. How many here would say this morning, Dr. Rasmussen, with God's help, with God's help, I want to serve him more. I want to be used by God. If you'd say that this morning, would you raise your hand so I can pray for you? A great sea of hands. Thank you. Put your hands down. Lord, you've seen these hands. I do pray for this one dear lady that she'll settle this issue of salvation today, that she'll be with her. So glad that you are not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. What a wonderful thing. Lord, I thank you for these many who raise their hands. I pray you will use them. Like you used the little widow at Zarephath so many years ago. I pray you use Pastor and Joanne. I pray you use Susan and myself and every person here today. In just a moment, we're going to stand. If God spoke to your heart, if you want to talk to the Lord, you don't need to talk to me. If you want to talk to the pastor, he's here. But I'd encourage you to come talk to the Lord about whatever it is he talked to you about. Friends, he wants to use you. He wants to work in you and through you. With her heads bowed, her eyes closed, I'm going to ask you to stand to your feet, if you would, please. Why don't you stand at this time? Heads bowed, eyes closed. I'm going to ask the one lady who raised her hand. Why don't you come up right now? The pastor's wife will meet you right up here. Heads bowed, eyes closed. 